Hey, it's Nate Parrish from Wedway Radio, and you're listening to Stories of the Magic. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to Episode 80 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. In this episode, we begin a two-part interview with Russell Flores, the author of Seen Unseen Disneyland. As it happens, Russ and I first met at a Wedway radio meet in DCA, Disney California Adventure, a couple of years ago, and we've since had the opportunity to connect at the D23 Expo, and we even shared a table at Author Alley at last July's uh, Disneyland show and sale. He's got a great love for Disney and has some very interesting insights. We tried to record this one at the Hungry Bear restaurant like I did with Sam Genoway. Unfortunately, all of Critter Country is closed for refurbishment right now, so we got as close as we could, literally sitting on the ground on the small pathway behind Fowler's Harbor, right next to the construction wall. In this episode, Russ talks about how he became interested in Disneyland, whether he's ever considered working there, why Seen Unseen Disneyland needed to be created, how the idea for the book came about and how it developed, the difference in how this book is arranged compared to most others, his first endorsement, a very cool and impressive story. Whether there were any rough patches in the development where he might have thought about giving up. How he smoothed out the process of working with the photos between the first book and the one he's working on now. The target audience for the book. People who don't quite get the book. Some Disney details that many people may not think of. Why he doesn't include any behind-the-scenes pictures in his books or what he shares on social media. Whether there was anything Disney expressed concerns over when Seen Unseen Disneyland went through copyright review, and getting the proof copy of his book and what that was like. Now, a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend, and then it's time to turn the page and begin this story. Oh, and at the end, I have a fun little outtake when a guest joined us for a minute. My name is Al. And I'm Joyce. And we're, we're huge, huge Disneyland, Disneyland fans. fans. In fact, we love the Disneyland Resort so much, we host a podcast dedicated to the happiest place on earth to share that passion with others. That's right. On our show, Tales from the Mouse House Disneyland Podcast, we share current resort news, some tips and tricks we've learned over the years to help make your Disneyland Resort vacation the most magical experience ever. We uncover little-known and often-overlooked gems we like to call hidden treasures and even review the attractions and places to eat that make the Disneyland Resort so much fun. And if that wasn't enough, we even share some video episodes to help keep you in that Disney magic state of mind. If you're a longtime fan of the Disneyland Resort or you've just recently discovered the magic, this podcast is for you. You can find Tales from the Mouse House Disneyland Podcast at www. Talescast.com and in iTunes. And remember, make, make it, it a, a Mickey, Mickey day. And now, this week's interview on Stories of the Magic. One of my favorite things about the Disney parks are the details. And when it comes to the details of Disneyland that guests see every day but often never really see, I don't know anyone better qualified to talk about it than my guest today, author of Seen Unseen Disneyland, Russell Flores. Russ was born and raised on the central coast of California, less than four hours from Disneyland, so his family made frequent trips. He's a lifelong Disney fan and visits the Disney theme parks as often as he can. Russell enjoys taking family trips with his wife and daughter, trips with friends, and even occasional trips by himself, usually for sales or research. Yes, research is in air quotes. He's very active in the Disney fan community, participating in events like the D23 Expos, uh, Pacific Northwest Mouse Meets, and more. In fact, we're doing this interview live and in person 
as close to the Hungry Bear restaurant as we can get, but currently it's closed. So we're kind of off uh, on the pathway behind Fowler's Harbor uh, to do the interview. Uh, and if Hungry Bear was still open, I might just start calling that the Stories of the Magic Studio. Uh, on the afternoon of the Star Wars 10K, part of Star Wars Half Marathon Weekend at the Disneyland Resort. I could tell you more, but I don't want to steal his stories. So, Russ, welcome to Stories of the Magic. Thank you for having me. <laughs> now, we're going to start with the question that everybody does start with, and then we'll go off from there. Uh, how did you become interested in Disney, especially in Disneyland? So that started, as you, as you said, when I was a kid. Um, I grew up with a single mom, and so one of the treats that I did get was we would come to Disneyland. It seemed like every three-day holiday, this, this was our trip. And we'd come down here, the first day we'd go to Knott's Berry Farm, which would only be at part of a day because we had driven down that day. Mm-hmm. The second day, which was the only full day of being here, would always be at Disneyland. And then the third day would be something else like Movie Land Wax Museum or Universal Studios or something like that. So those trips, you know, over the years, you know, just built this love of Disney that I was always looking forward to the three-day weekends when we could come down here and go to Disneyland. Nice. Uh, so then you, that was where it started, and then how did it develop into the, I'm not going to say obsession, because that's kind of a, a, an a unpleasant word, <laughs> uh, but interest, shall we say, to the level that you have now. Well, I continued to go to Disneyland, and then, you know, graduated high school, moved out. Um, the times that we'd go to Disneyland, I would go to Disneyland, I should say, um, they, you know, they tapered off as you're going to college and you're starting work and all of that kind of good stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it got to be a point where, you know, I'd maybe go every couple years. And then I, I met my current wife. And, of course, one of the things you do when you get a new wife, you know, or girlfriend is you come to Disneyland. And so we went to Disneyland a couple times before we got married. Uh, when we got married, um, we both enjoyed Disneyland. So we actually went to Walt Disney World for our honeymoon. We never, Neither one of us had ever been there. Uh-huh. Um, but it continued with this, you know, every couple of years going and, you know, went with family or maybe a friend occasionally. And then, um, you know, we had our daughter and both of us had grown up loving Disneyland and we wanted to share that with our daughter. So when our daughter was three, we came here for our first visit um, in April on in Mother's Day weekend. And then we heard all sorts of stuff from cast members about, oh, Christmas is wonderful. You should come at Christmas time. <laughs> And I'd never been, my wife had been once at Christmas time. And so we decided to take a family trip. And at, at that point, we, we both lived in Northern California in the Sacramento area. And so it's a seven, seven and a half hour drive. Yeah. Um, you know, you can maybe get away with a six hour, but when you've got a kid, you're stopping two or three times. Right. So it's a seven and a half hour drive. Um, so we decided instead of taking a three day trip like we'd done the first time, we did a five day trip. And the park was wonderful. The length of the trip was wonderful. It just really clicked for us. And we actually bought our annual passes that week. Um, we bought one of the stones out front, you know, in the Esplanade. Uh-huh. Um, and just had a, had a wonderful time. And so then we kind of got into our biannual trips. We'd come once in spring and once at Christmas time. And spring was kind of our trip that we would go with friends, family, and that type of thing. Christmas was just our trip. If we ran into people... That was great. Yep. But if, if it was just us that went. And, you know, it just kept building from there. Okay. So with all of these visits and everything, I know you've always lived, you know, a fair ways away. But have you ever considered, at least if you were to move to the area, working at Disneyland? Yes, that's actually a fantasy. But I also realized that it's like, you know, the Christmas wish, you know, I wish every day was Christmas. Right. If every day was Christmas, then Christmas really would be the same. Yeah. So I'm kind of torn. Um, there's actually a family joke that, hey, when I retire, I'm going to come, we're going to come down here and live and I'm either going to drive the monorail or be a sweeper. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> okay. But I, you know, I also realize if that really happened, maybe <laughs> some of the magic might be lost by seeing it every single day. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've talked to several people who were concerned about that. Some experienced that kind of thing. Others, it kind of depended on where you focused. And it was sort of up to you to renew the magic every day for yourself and for the guests that you interacted with. So Right, and I think I could make it work. I'm sure. Um, but, you know, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so, well, the, you know, the main reason we wanted to do the interview is to give you a chance to talk about your, the book that you already have out and the one that you're working on. 
So why don't we go ahead and jump into that? Because I want to spend a good amount of time on the book itself. Uh, so why did you think that this book, Seen Unseen Disneyland, needed to be created? Well, I've, I've told the story before, you know, how I came up with the idea. Um, it was just kind of a fluke. I was trying to catch up with my family. They were on Thunder Mountain. I had stopped to take a picture or go to the bathroom or something. I don't even recall exactly why I got separated. But I was kind of, you know, trying to catch up with them when I saw a lady throwing garbage in a garbage can. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, I've seen those trash cans a thousand times like everyone has. But for some reason, that particular time, it registered with me that it wasn't just a simple, you know, black or green or gray trash can. That it was actually themed to look like it belonged there. Mm -hmm. And so I popped a quick picture. It's the first picture in the book. It's framed completely wrong, but I felt it was important for people to see that, that, that what actually started this whole thing. And so the rest of the day I was taking pictures of trash cans. Um, it actually got to be a family joke where, because the family didn't know what I was doing and I didn't know what I was doing. Uh -huh. I just, it kind of piqued my curiosity. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not just taking pictures of trash cans, but if you look at the pictures in the book, I'm actually getting down low and taking straight on pictures, not just downward pictures of these trash cans right and so my daughter hey mom he's doing it again because they thought i would, had lost it which of course i have but <laughs> well yeah um and then it, i started thinking what else have i been missing all these years mm -hmm. you know i've been coming here to the park and i've seen those trash cans and i didn't ever really notice them and so i started looking for other things and taking pictures of you know what is there something there you know because once you start looking then you start getting a feel for Oh, you know, that's just a light, or wait a minute, that light, maybe there's something special about that light. And so I started taking pictures. I started doing... <laughs> Occupational hazard over here in this part of the studio. Mark Twain comes by every now and then, so we'll let him go ahead and blow their whistle a couple more times, and then we can jump back into the answer here. But for now, enjoy the background of the Mark Twain. And there's the most famous landmark in the so talking about details, you look at the smokestacks, they've just repainted. Yeah, they have. Looks like they've got a guest up in the wheelhouse, too. We got to do that one time. You get to sign the book. I think that would be really cool. So, at this point, I don't think I'm going to get up there by myself, so I just have to wait till my daughter's born, gets a little older, and then I'll bring her, and she can be my excuse to get in there. It, we're, we're really doing it for me, but we'll pretend it's for her. Dress her cute. It's a draw. <laughs> right. There you go. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> okay. So, anyway, so I started doing research and looking for things that I didn't know about Disney. Um which can be dangerous on the internet, but I also <laughs> read books and stuff. And, and I, if, I usually try to double source things, triple source things if I can, um, or at least make sure that they really reasonably make sense. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started doing that. And then with our twice a year trips, I could come take pictures, go home research, you know, go through that, that cycle. Well, after a couple of years of doing this, and, and at that point, a book wasn't in my mind. It was just hey, this is interesting. Right. And so about 2005, 2006, I started thinking, you know, this this could be a book. So I switched my researching for just a short time and actually started researching for a book like this. Okay. And you, you get books that have stuff like this in them, but that's not their focus. You know, it's just a small little piece in the book. Mm -hmm. um, or you might get a web page that has some. Or you might get, um, you know, a book like, where can you find this at Disneyland or Walt Disney World? So, But there was nothing really on topic. Uh -huh. And, you know, I was... I get a little visitor here. <laughs> anyway, so I, I was starting to think maybe I had a book idea here. And, you know, everyone, you know, wants some little piece of Disneyland. I thought this could be my little piece, you know, mm -hmm. of, of this. Um, because, you know, I, I wanted to go work for Disney when I was younger, but you know, start college, you know, it, it never quite worked out. I wasn't from the area. Um, and, you know, now I'm at the point where I have to be a little older 
Um, you know, like when I retire, maybe I could come back, like we talked about. But yeah. right now, you know, it's just not not in the cards. So this was maybe a little piece I could share with people. Um, and it was something I was interested in, in doing. So, and since there wasn't another book, I started compiling it, started thinking about how I wanted it. And one of the things was people, when they do things of this nature, you know, like they'll, they'll go fantasy land, you know, frontier land, mm-hmm. adventure land. And I didn't want that. I didn't want that. So if you notice in this particular book, I actually do it by topic. Yeah. And so I find a theme, and then I would find bits and pieces of facts and put them together into the themes, um, which worked really well for, you know, the crazy way that I think. (laughs) So, you know, I started putting it together and putting it together, and I'd come on trips, and, you know, 2005 to about 2009, 2010, I was putting this together. But it was all part-time. You know, I work full-time. I got a family to support. Sure. And so... I, I got to a point where it was in a book form. I mean, I was putting it in into a book form. Mm-hmm. But then you get to that point, you know, where it's like, is anyone really going to buy this? Who Who's Russ Flores? Yeah. Who's he? You know, no one knows me. No one's going to buy my book. And, and you know, because you have a couple books out. You just get that, that point where you're just like, uh, you know, it was a fun thing to do, but should I really do it or not? Yeah, this was a lot of work. And I know to finish it out is going to be harder than anything I've done so far. Is it really worth the effort? I mean, right. I found all the stuff I wanted to do. Yeah. So, um, I was fortunate enough that I was able to get a hold of Dave Smith from formerly of the Disney Archives and have him, he, he agreed to take a look at it. Um, um, once I got Disney's permission, they did, a, they did what's called a copyright review. Um, and it was, it's an interesting process. Um, you know, People have their experiences, both good and bad. Mine was pretty positive. I, I don't have any complaints about it. Um, they they did their thing, and so then they said, yeah, no no concerns there um, with their copyright review. And so Dave Smith took a look at it, and he went through it. and And when I sent it to him, it was a Friday morning, and he you know he emails me back. He's a busy guy. He's Dave Smith. Right. I mean, come on. And so he's like, well, you know, I'm a little busy right now. I'll try and get to it next Tuesday or Wednesday. And so, you know, I'm like, well, I'm just Russ Flores. <laughs> if you look at it next year, I'll be happy. Yeah, you if know? you ever get to it, I'm ecstatic. Thank right. you. <laughs> so, you know, and I left it at that. Well, later that afternoon, I get an email back. And he goes, yeah, when I got the copy, the proof copy you sent me, um, I started looking at it and went through the whole thing. I couldn't set it down. <laughs> Well, you know how that made me feel. Oh, yeah. Dave Smith looked at it. Yeah. But then I'm thinking, uh-oh, what's wrong with it? You right. know? <laughs> and actually, um, he, he gave me some pointers um, how to make it more Disney. So, like, in the book, I, in the original draft, I referred to things as rides. And rides mm-hmm. is not the proper term. It's attractions. Right. And so he gave me a lot of pointers like that to polish it out, to make it more Disney-ish. And um, then he goes, oh, no, by the way, if you'd like a quote for the back of your book, here's a quote which is the quote that's on the back of the book currently. Right. And when someone like Dave Smith takes the time to not only look at it and give you some pointers, but then says such a positive thing about your book, at that point, I knew I had to finish it. Even if no one ever bought it, I, I had to put it in the book. And, and, and it's, it also goes into that whole thing where if you, if you have something you want to do and then you don't do it, and then years later you're like, gosh, I should have, could have, would have, you know, whatever, and I didn't want that. Yeah. If, if, if I had a thousand copies sitting out in the garage, at least I tried, mm-hmm. you know, and I could give them as Christmas presents for the next 20 years. <laughs> right. <laughs> I got this last year, Ross. <laughs> you're getting it again, and you're going to get it next year, too. That's right. So anyway, um, you know, I got up, I was going to self-publish, and um, my original publisher that I went through, it, it self-publisher, um, didn't work out for me. Uh, eventually, I, I hooked up with David Smith, not to be confused with Dave Smith. Um, David Smith is a former cast member, um, has written uh, the book uh, Growing Up in the Shadow of the Matterhorn and those type of things. Past guest on this show. Past guest on this show. Um, he, I got hooked up with him and we published it. And, you know, it's not like a New York bestseller, but it's definitely doing well. Amazon numbers are always really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been in the top 100 of the primary categories that the book's listed in since it came out in December of 2012. So, you know, I'm happy with it. You know, I'm not making lots and lots of money, but I never expected to. But the real benefit 
um, as I was talking to some friends last night about uh, a friend who's thinking about writing a book, he's like, well, how much money can you make? I'm like, if you're doing this for the money, you shouldn't be. No. First of all, you should be doing it for the love of the, of the topic. And second of all, it, it opened so many doors and has allowed me to do so many things like this interview. I would never be on this podcast if it wasn't for this. Right. And getting to be here at this time right now and doing this kind of stuff, going to D23, you know, all those things that I'm getting to do that this has opened doors for me. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's been a wonderful experience, you know, all the way from, you know, being reviewed by Disney all the way up to today it has been great for me. Yeah. I, were there any really rough patches in there where you, just aside from wondering, is anybody going to read this? You know, does anybody really care about it at all? But through the development of it, were there any rough patches where you thought, you know, this is just too much for what I'm going to get out of this? And, you know, I'm just going to hang it up. I never got to that point, but I did have some frustrating moments. Um, originally, I was using a Windows product for putting it together into a book format, and the computer kept crashing. The program kept crashing. You know, I'd do an hour's worth of work, and then crash, and I'd lose that hour. Oh. And uh, some of the, the boo-boos that slipped through were because I couldn't remember where... I had stopped last time, and uh-huh. so I, you know, I'd have to go back and try and find out all the things that I had changed, and you know, things get missed, and that kept happening, and so eventually, um, I decided, you know what, my at, at that point, my computer was needing to be replaced anyway. It was at that point, mm-hmm. so I switched to Apple, which is more graphic, right? Designed, and yeah. of course, this book is graphic yeah. in nature, um, and I got InDesign, and after that, it smoothed out where it wasn't crashing all the time. Now, of course. You know, someone, someone's probably yelling at the screen right now or the, the radio speakers right now saying, hey, you know, dummy, why weren't you saving every five minutes? Even saving every five minutes, you know, you do one thing, it crash. You, you know, you reboot everything, you bring it back up, you change a couple things, and then you go, I'll just do one more, and boom, it crash. And, you know. uh-huh. So even when I was doing it for shorter periods and just saving every five minutes, that even that gets to be tedious mm-hmm. to have to save that often. And in this particular program... You'd save it. It wasn't just click, save, okay, move on. It's click, wait five or ten minutes for it to finish saving. Right. And especially with how graphics heavy the book is, files that large, that's going to take a while to save. Yeah. Right. And, and you know, there were a couple reasons why the Apple product, number one, they're more graphic friendly. But also, um, the way it deals with graphics, instead of, in, you can do it two ways. You can embed everything, or you can just do links. Mm-hmm. And the links may, of course, keep things running faster and smoother. And then as you change that link, it automatically updates the book. So if I have a picture, and then I decide to use a different one or recrop it, as soon as I change that picture, boom, it's updated in the book. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot more convenient. Yeah. Now we've got yeah. the sailing ship Columbia going by. Pirates are... <laughs> So if you're interested, this will be in the next book. There'll be things about the Columbia in the next book. I love the Columbia. I think it's such a a great attraction here. And the fact that it's a replica that's full size. When you go down below deck and realize that this is not a, you know, shrunk down version of 5-8 scale or whatever, this is full size, those are cramped quarters to live in. Yeah, that's always shocking, is that they lived in those. And it, you know, you, you look in there and you see... You know, half a dozen dozen bunks in there, but realized there was thirty guys on that ship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you switched over to to InDesign, and you were using the links, which made things a lot easier. Did that thing kind of get to the point where it smoothed out enough that you were comfortable continuing to move forward and didn't really hit any more major roadblocks? Right, and the, and the other thing is, is you know, I'm I'm. You know, it's what you see is what you get. So what I was doing is what what it was going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and even between the first book and now, in the first book, I went through. I would use Photoshop to make the color corrections and croppings and everything. You know, I wanted to do with the pictures. Um, and then I would change them back to JPEG. Have you, in publishing, you have to use what's called CMYK color format mm-hmm. and all that good stuff. And so that was taking a long time to do all of that with each and every picture. And then embed them was what I was actually doing at that time. So now I do links, but I've also, from having talked to the printer, I've found out that I can actually do the Photoshop and then I'm done. He can mm-hmm. add it once 
once you're in Photoshop, once you have it in Photoshop format, you don't have to change it to CMYK. You can just leave it in its normal um, colored format, put it in the book, and the way the publisher receives it is in a PDF format. And that PDF format automatically takes care of everything. Oh, okay. So he's able to just work directly with that. So that kind of speeds up the process, too. Yeah. So, you know, you learn things as you're going along. You know, mistakes you made in the first book <laughs> versus, you know, things to speed up your work product and all that good stuff. Right. So, um, you know, and, and like one of the things in the first book I had to do, and, I, and I'm doing it in this book but not so much because I'm using a slightly different format this time, is the fact that um, you used to have to kind of punch up the colors on your pictures because mm-hmm. when they get printed, they lose color. Right. So you have to put more saturation in it so that when it's printed, it looks normal saturation. <laughs> so this time I'm not having to punch them up so much because the way that, that he's publishing it, it doesn't require that. Well, that's good. Yeah, that definitely helps. I imagine your skill with using Photoshop probably improved considerably over the time of working on that first book, too, with having to work with so many pictures. Act, yeah, learning work product, uh, learning how to deal with work product, that did... Um, actually, I had been—I was a photographer for a while, so I've been using Photoshop for quite a while. Okay. So the basic skills of using Photoshop, I knew, but how to use it effectively were instead of just doing one picture and spending three hours on one picture, mm-hmm. getting fifty pictures and processing them out in a, you know a couple of days, so that then I can start using them and and you know my book uh-huh. changed. You know you can't you can't spend the time like if you're doing a portrait of someone. Removing every blemish and all that right. stuff. And then there's other needs. So, like, you'll notice in the first book, there are some pictures where people are included. Well, I don't have the rights to use their image. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have to go through and slightly blur all their faces, which, you know, some people can argue that, yeah, it makes the picture worse. But they're not the picture anyway. They just happen to be in the picture. Yeah. The picture is whatever the object is. Right. So, like, the, the most obvious example is the picture of Push where I show push with a crowd, and he's entertaining a crowd, so mm. I had to go through and you know, airbrush all their faces. Uh-huh. But push is really the subject matter. Yeah, he's the point. Yeah. So, you said you had been uh, a photographer before you started this project. What kind of photography did you do before that? Just my own thing. Okay. You know, I was just, a, you know, taking pictures on the weekend. Uh-huh. Um, it actually, when I was in junior high, I guess, I started, I took a photography class as an elective, you know, mm-hmm. and I took pictures, then I would get into it, and then I would, you know, a couple years I'd be out of it, and then I might play with it for a while. So it kind of went back and forth. And then uh, when our daughter was born again, motivated a lot <laughs> of stuff, um, we wanted pictures of our daughter, sure. so we bought our first digital camera which were fairly new at that time. Yeah. And, you know, started taking pictures with, you know, this little kind of cheapy camera, and then, you know, geez, that's not quite doing what I want, and you get a little bit better camera after a year or two, and uh-huh. then you start getting, you know, products on your computer to make them better, and it just kept expanding from there until I, you know, finally got into um, the Canon 20D, which is what I used for my first book, um, which is a high-end amateur or low-end professional camera at that time uh-huh. was considered you know, Photoshop and all that kind of good stuff, and learning Photoshop, and then um, Adobe's really good, they have these traveling classes, hmm. so Sacramento was lucky that they would regularly come there, you know, every six or 12 months they would have a class there, it's like, if you join their professional organization, NAPP, um, the classes were 79 bucks. Oh, I can't beat that. And you get, you know, people like Burt Monroy who are just awesome with Photoshop and they would come in and show you tricks and how to do things and nice. so you know it wasn't just a matter of watching a video although that you know works really well now right uh, back then YouTube wasn't quite as big and so you know being able to go in and have a professional show you and this is how you cut a person out and paste them onto something else or this is how you blend things huh. you know this is how you make skin look nice when maybe there were a couple blotches on there uh-huh. things like that huh so, and then, you know, there's little tricks, like mistakes people make, though. They'll, they'll get a picture of a person, and they'll use the softening tools to make their skin look really nice. But they forget they need to mask out the eyes and the hair and stuff, because you don't want that blur. <laughs> right. The eyes need to be really sharp. And so people will look at it, and they go, something's wrong with that picture. And just like the details that we talk about in the book, you know, 
you're, you may not be consciously aware of it, but your, your mind's eye is going, there's something wrong about that picture and I can't mm-hmm. figure it out, you know, and it's because they left the eyes blurred or, you know, pupils weren't quite right. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe someone, they help, people will move the pupils so their focal point will change a little bit. And they won't move them consistent. So, like, one eye is looking slightly up and one eye is looking straight ahead. You know, uh-huh. Whatever. So, it's interesting stuff like that that you get to pick up from these classes. And, and all those skill levels transferred into doing this book. Sure. Yeah. Uh, did your photography skill improve or has it improved from when you started to now kind of getting so much practice of shooting this kind of thing specifically? It's probably deproved. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, with experience, you know, you learn what you can and can't do. Um, one of the nice things about digital is you can take 5,000 pictures, and if you get two or three of the ones you want, then you're good. You're yeah. golden. So it's a lot better than, you know, there's there's the old argument about putting making the picture in the camera versus making the picture in the computer. You know, mm-hmm. you can take a picture that otherwise would be, you know, no good. It's completely unusable. But with the digital world it can be close enough where you can then take it into Photoshop and fix it yeah now I try not to do that I, I want to get as good a picture initially um, but you learn you learn little things like you know I, I buy a lens and I would try and take pictures and they're all coming out blurry because of the lighting conditions mm-hmm. and you realize well you know what you know quality optics make a difference yeah. know, quality optics accept more light and you get better pictures uh-huh so you know you learn about you learn that stuff the hard way whereas that lens worked fine when I was using it for family stuff but trying to get pictures in low light Disney attractions didn't wasn't hacking it yeah <laughs> right you know you try and hold it as steady as possible and hold your breath and do all this stuff like bring your elbows in and you know you do all these tricks and you know, or brace yourself against something and it's still just not working because you're in a moving vehicle. And, um, so you learn little tricks. You learn how to adjust your, your speed of your camera. You know, which is better? Do you adjust the speed or do you adjust the aperture to mm. get the picture? So, you know, there's different tricks for getting in different lighting conditions. So, yeah, in that sense, you know, the experience has is, is gotten better because now, now I have the experience of taking the pictures that I'm taking now versus taking the family portraits yeah yeah makes sense so who would you say is the target audience for the book this would be anyone who's interested in Disney or Disneyland anyone you know even if you're just interested in Walt Disney because this explains a lot about Walt Disney you know the man you know Mm -hmm. his attention to detail to people who love Disney to people who are just tourists at Disneyland and want to see something interesting um, people who just you know interested in trivia it appeals to a wide range of people. Um, you know, I've even had, you know, people in the Disney business who have, have looked at it and like, oh, this is really cool. I didn't know this. I didn't know this, you know. Uh-huh. Um, you know, you, you, of course, get the quote-unquote know-it-alls. You, you, right. you know, you're going to run into those always. But pretty much everyone who's picked up the book has found at least one thing they didn't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know I did. I don't know off the top of my head remember what it was, but I know I've run across a few things at least. So, and then, then you run into people that don't quite get the concept. Um, so, like, I, I had one person say, well, your book's incomplete. You don't have every trash can. Well, it's not a documentary of everything. <laughs> like, that chapter's not about every trash can. It's to show you the things you've been missing, whet your appetite, but leave some things for you to go out and find on your own. Mm-hmm. If I showed you everything, you wouldn't need to come to Disneyland. Well, you'd still need to come to Disneyland. Well, but yeah. Let's not get crazy here. <laughs> But, but you wouldn't need to look at the trash cans. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it, you, you've got to understand the type of book it is. Uh-huh. Um, I've had people say, you need to add more narrative. You need to, you know, tell, like, the whole story. Well, that's not the type of book it is. There's several books out there that are like that. I encourage you to go read them. Um, this is to deal with the details and explain the details. Not everything there is to know about trash cans, but to explain the details of the trash cans. Mm-hmm. So... Um, you know, I, I think it's interesting. A lot of people obviously have thought it was interesting, but I, I think it, it appeals to a wide range. And even when you look on Amazon at the ratings, you'll notice that the ratings come from some interesting rating circles. They're not all just like Disney theme park. Yeah. You know, you'll see stuff like Western Travel. Yep. I didn't even know I was rated in Western <laughs> Travel, but I always do well in Western Travel. <laughs> 
Mark Twain is back. Speaking of Western travel. <laughs> You're right. It's a nice segue there. I've been watching you guys on your segues. <laughs> it's almost like he's talking about the same thing. I know. Wow. I think you can see why. Of course, I'm at a loss to understand what's going on. Perhaps Brer Frog can shed some light on the situation. It's so interesting that they include Br'er Frog there. Yeah. I was just going to say, did he say Br'er Frog? Yeah. <laughs> As I understand it, Br'er Frog, both in the narration here and in the Splash Mountain attraction, he basically takes the place of Uncle Remus. Because they you know, want to stay away from using the Uncle Remus character. So they still need some of the narrative piece of that that he fulfills. So they created Br'er Frog who's not in the Uncle Remus stories to fill that role. See, and there's more detail. <laughs> That's right. And that truly is what sets Disney apart. You know, every, you know, you can have, and giving total credit to Universal for what they do and the wonderful rides they do, but it's the details that really set Disney apart. You know, the details of what you see, the details of how cast members act, you know, mm-hmm. um, something you and I were talking about before we started recording you know I was standing in line at uh, Tomorrowland Terrace and the lady indicated she had a special dietary need bam the chef is out there and what you need he's taking notes he's, he's discussing with them and going okay I can make you this 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 is this and you know okay they pay for it and wham it comes out you know it's nothing that was even on the menu but he's making something to satisfy their needs so they can eat with their family there at Tomorrowland Terrace. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's something that people don't really understand when someone says Disney details. They think the little tiny things in the minutiae that you have to be a massive Disneyland fanatic to even care about. But the detail is... Some some of that is the details. But some of it is the detail in the way the cast members are trained and the way that they do their job and the way that things are maintained and the way that stories are created. All of those count as details, too. Well, and it's like yesterday. um, I had a cast member, John, um, who was working in uh, Frontierland, and he was getting the crowd to do certain things. But unlike other... Kick it right! You know, it wasn't like that. He's joking around with them about things... But it's getting them to do what he wants to do without them feeling like they're being bossed around. Mm-hmm. That's a detail. Right. You know, that people miss that, you know, granted part of that was probably his personality, but part of it is also the way Disney trains their people. You know, mm-hmm. they don't come, for the most part, you know, they're not bossy or anything. They're not, you know, they're, keep to the right, please, you know. This morning at, at the, uh, the race, you know, I had never seen the little process that they used until a few years ago when I first saw it of how they get people to cross the path that the race is going on uh-huh. and I've never seen it any place else it may be being used I, I don't know maybe it's common and I just don't know because I don't go to that many races but um, you know they came up with a whole process to get people across that path without interrupting the runners right and that's no easy thing especially when sometimes they introduce a new course and it'll cross itself or uh, I think it was even for I want to say Avengers where they didn't have it set up very well in downtown Disney for that. And so you had people who had finished running and then were having to stand to wait to cross for 10 or 15 minutes and their legs are t- you know, tensing up and things like that. But that's another one of the details is they look for the problems and they fix them. Right. You know, I, I, most inaugural races have some kind of problem and most of the time with Disney they're fixed or at least significantly toned down by the second year. Right, and that, and in that again, that's another detail. Um, you go to some places and something's not working right, and you come back a year later and it's still not working right. You come back six <laughs> months later and it's still not working right because it's working good enough for them. Um, yeah. You know, it's like some software programmers. Um, there's a thing called good enough software. Um, when I learned to program computers and stuff, you built it so it worked the best you could get it before you released it. You know, mm-hmm. of course within reason because you know it's a product but you know now they build it so that it's good enough it does okay and it'll make 99% of the people happy so we're not going to bother working about this other stuff Um, not Disney you know when something's broken and it's brought to their attention for the most part they'll try and fix it sometimes it takes a while I mean example is the you know Alice in Wonderland 
you know, they had to put up all those rails up there, and it took them a while to figure out how to make it so it looked right again, mm-hmm. but they did. Yeah. I mean, a lot of places would have just put those rails up, and that would have been the end of it, you know, and they'd have left it there, you know, a lot of theme parks, but, mm-hmm. you know, Disney took a while, but they finally figured out a way that they could make that thing look the way it was supposed to and still meet, you know, the requirements that they were required to meet. You know, it looks great again. It does. It really does. If you didn't know before that those pieces weren't hadn't, hadn't always been there, you wouldn't know it now. It's, I think, really only people who remember well what it used to look like. It's like, oh, yeah, I can see where they added and what they changed. For the most part, you have no idea. Yeah, and like that little track they added for the safety harness, you wouldn't notice that. Mm-hmm. It's down there on the deck. And, yeah. You know, who notices that? <laughs> well, besides us. Yeah. <laughs> No, I've heard you say in other interviews, and I know you even say in the introduction to the book, that you don't include any of the behind-the-scenes photos or photos of anything that your guests aren't meant to see. Uh, why is that? Because you weren't meant to see them, is, is the <laughs> bottom line there. Um, I'm not here to spoil Disney. I'm not here to take away from the magic. That's not the point of the book. That's here to enhance your magic. And if I'm showing stuff behind the scenes, and, and I have lots of pictures. You know, I've seen... Space Mountain with the lights on, and I've got pictures. They'll never appear in anything that I publish. Mm-hmm. Um, even yesterday, I, I uh, made mention when I was riding the monorail that Condor Flats is really tore up right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really interesting to see how much is, is works being done over there. And immediately, someone said, "Post pictures," and I, you know, posted back, you know, you know, I'll think about it, but I don't normally do that. I don't like to do that. That's mm-hmm. not, you know. Unfortunately, there's no way to. Well, there, there is a way, but it would be so cost prohibitive that, you know, unfortunately when you're riding the monorail, you can see that. Normally Disney's really good about walls, you know, things to block things, and there's just no way to do it there. Um, but that's not the point of the book. The point I, I've even had one person um, zing me on Amazon saying, uh, you know, this book is misleading. It's, you know, it implies that it's behind the scenes and it's not. Well, that, no, I, I don't say that. And, in fact, the opening chapter, as you pointed out, specifically says it's not uh-huh. um, it's here to point out all the stuff that's supposed to bring you joy and make you more happy um, Not a, I, I don't want to engage in you know what I would consider tabloid type photography and showing you things you're not meant to see and you know sneaking in places all that kind of stuff that's, that's not the point uh, it's not the point of Disney and it doesn't help anyone to do that you know it doesn't increase anyone's joy I imagine it probably increases someone's joy to see <laughs> behind-the-scenes stuff. But you know what I'm saying. Is yeah. It doesn't enhance your experience while you're here mm-hmm. to know that behind that wall is such and such. Right. And if someone really wants that in a book, <laughs> then they can go write their own. That's true. And they can put that out. I can think I can pretty safely say it wouldn't get by uh, the Disney copyright review. No, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> they probably wouldn't like that too much. Yeah. Actually, you know what? Come to think of it on that subject, was there anything when you sent them the book for the copyright review that they expressed any concern over as far as, you know, kind of in this area where they, it was something that guests are meant to see, but they kind of didn't want to draw attention to it? No. There was not. They had three little minor concerns that, that were just little minor fixes for the most part. Um, they didn't concern me at all, the changes. Um, but there was nothing in the in the line light like, oh well, yeah, they see this, but we don't want you to emphasize it. Mm. There was nothing like that at all. Good. Now that, like I said, it was a very positive experience for me. Um, the the only thing, if you want to call it criticism, which I don't really consider criticism, is that they're a company. Companies take a while to do stuff. So mm-hmm. where I want to get that thing done because I want to get my book published, you know, they're like, okay, we'll get back to you. <laughs> couple three four weeks you know (laughs) so i mean but they're a company you got to expect that when you're dealing with this kind of stuff so i really wouldn't consider that a criticism it's just that's a fact of life yeah so if you're planning on writing a book budget that into your time schedule that's for sure (laughs) yeah however long you think it's going to take it's going to take longer whether you go through disney copyright review or not just take both of our words for it it's going to take longer than you think yeah the second book was i wanted it out by um november and here we are, January, and I still need to do some more work on it before I can send it to the publisher to send a printer. Um, you know, things come up, life comes up, you know, 
you go through and you think you got the shot, and then you start looking at it, and you're like, yeah, that's just not going to work. Uh-huh. And, you know, like you and I were talking about, you know, yesterday and today, I've been taking uh, makeup pictures, or we refer to it as cleanup pictures, um, for little things like, oh, yeah, I've got two pictures that are going to work really well, but if I just had this one extra little thing, it would look even better. Or, you know, you get back and you're looking at it and you go, what was I thinking when I took that <laughs> shot? Photoshop cannot fix this. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, when you finish the book and send it to the printers, and they sent you a proof copy, I assume. Yes. You, you got, at some point, a bound proof copy of basically, this is what the book is going to be like. No. This is what you, you, you never got no. one of those? You don't get a bound copy. Interesting. You, you get the cover. Uh-huh. Separate. You get the insides, but they're all uh, just flat pages. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you were to open a book and you've got page one and two, uh-huh. you'll get a flat piece of paper that has page one and two. Okay. And then the next page would be two and three, and then three and, you know, uh-huh. it, so on and so on. Yeah. Or one and two, three, three and four. four. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Something like that. I knew that. that didn't sound right. <laughs> um, so there's just a bunch of flats. So you don't actually see it in book format, but you'll see what the pages look like. Uh-huh. So, so after it was published... That's the first time I actually you... see it in book format. That must have been a little nerve-wracking. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that um, the part that made me the most nervous was the book size. Because, okay, so the book is about as thick as the pages you get because, you know, in real real life they're going to be printed on both sides, mm-hmm. so it's about that thick, and they have their targeting markers marking the corners mm-hmm. for cuts, but really you can't visualize, okay, what is this 7x9 format? Yeah. How big is that really? Right. So, um, that was the thing that really made me curious, is what is this thing going to, you know, how big is this thing? Uh-huh. Because we picked a size that you could carry in a backpack. Yeah. Um, I get a lot of requests, are you ever going to do this in digital? And unfortunately, my current agreement doesn't allow me to do that. Um, but we still wanted the book at least to be big enough that you could see the pictures, but small enough where if you wanted to, you could take it to the park. And a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people bring it to the park to look for the things. Um, a couple families have even made a game out of it. They'll look at a page, and they'll, they'll kind of look at the picture, and then they go find that. Uh-huh. And then once they're there, they read about it while they're there. Right. So, you know, it, it is in that format. But like you said, I don't know what it's going to look like until <laughs> it showed up the day that, you know, it, it shows up. And what's really added to the frustration for me was, um, you know, it, it, um, the first printing was printed overseas. And I swear there must be some rule somewhere where if it's, you know, a quarter of the sur- Earth's surface to ship it one way, and it's three quarters to go the other way. You have to ship it the three quarters way, so that it takes longer. Uh-huh. I, I, you know, and then you know it, it arrives in like Oakland, and then it sits there for you know a week, waiting yeah. for someone to offload it off the ship. <laughs> so those are the frustrating things, but uh-huh. it's an interesting process. Yeah, it, it's not like a lot of people think. You know, oh, they print it up and they send it to you, and you go through the book. Yeah, it looks good. Um, part of the reason they do the individual pages is um, even though you, you sign off one letter for the whole thing, um, you can pull out individual pages and make changes. Hmm. So this allows you to pull those pages out and say, oh, you know, no, this is wrong, this is wrong. Um, for instance, in the first proof I got, um, I don't know if you've noticed, but in... That brings us to the end of this week's show. A special thank you to Russell Flores for being my guest and to you for listening. Stick around till the end of the show for that outtake I mentioned. I'd like to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of spoken word entertainment. Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Choose from titles like my book, Faith in the Magic Kingdom. You can pick that one or any of the 150,000-plus audiobooks as your free trial, and it's yours to keep whether you choose to continue your membership or not. To download your free audiobook today, go to storiesofthemagic.com audible. Again, that's storiesofthemagic.com audible for your free audiobook. 
If you're currently doing something because of your love for Disney, you've written a book like Russell, created a website, or you're blogging, writing, or performing music, art, whatever it may be, and you want to tell people about it and why it matters to you and why Disney matters to you, I want to hear from you. I also want to talk to and hear from people who've worked for Disney. And if you're a Disney guest of any Disney experience and you'd like to share a compliment or a thank you for anything Disney's done, I'd love to hear from you too. For any of these, email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY and tell me about your experience. Subscribe to Stories of the Magic in iTunes, the Xbox Music Store, on the website, or you can hear Stories of the Magic while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio. If you like the show, please rate and review Stories of the Magic in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever else you listen to the show and can rate it. I haven't had a new rating this year, and I would love to get one or two to start the year off. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, visit storiesofthemagic.com and leave a comment on the show notes for this or any episode. While you're there, check out the show notes for useful links from each episode, too, like podcasts that I mention or a link to Amazon to buy Russell's book. Like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash stories of the magic. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash stories of magic and tweet out that you're listening. Pin it on Pinterest plus one on Google plus. Tell your friends about the show. Keep letting others know that you're listening so they can join in the magic too. Thank you for joining me for this episode of stories of the magic. There will be other days and other stories and this tale continues next time. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call our listener feedback line, 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website, storiesofthemagic.com for show notes from this and every episode and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world. You know, I was going to get a little visitor here. <laughs> Hi. Hi. My name's Russ. <laughs> Russ. You're Zach? You're this many? I'm this many. Only it's not seven. Five, two. Oh, that's a lot. I know. That is a lot. I'm bored. Sweet. And that's my dad. Is it? Is that your mom? No, that's my dad. Oh. <laughs> Get it straight, Ross. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that piece? <laughs> yeah, I think I'll probably pick that up. <laughs> I know you do. That was funny, though. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> stop that one first. <laughs>